And welcome to a very special edition of Fratello on Air. Today, I, that's Rob Nudds, your host, will be joined by four of my colleagues from Team Fratello. That's right, we've got G2, Balaj, Mike, and RJ all lined up to talk to you about their experience as Casio collectors. First up, we have G2, G Pops, the G Father, the G Shock. Shall we say expert? Is that okay? Can we call you the expert? Uh, experts, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a bit of a, a loaded word, but, um, expert in a certain field, probably, uh, but not, not for G-Shocks in, in general. That's certainly not, that's, 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 uh, a, a way too fast field to be an expert in. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's such an enormous, uh, canon of watches now, 40 years of history in this, uh, amazing little enclave that gets serious watch collectors like you, uh, very, very, very excited over very small changes. And I was reading one of your recent articles and the changes that you discussed at length were minute to most people's eyes, but but big to you. Is that what you like most about G-Shock? Yeah, it's certainly... Uh, uh, the technical part of them uh, are certainly uh, uh, one of the points I, I like them for very much. Uh, the construction, but as well the, uh, the possibilities of all the different modules. And... To be honest, I, I'm not into collecting uh, G-Shocks for such a long time. I mean, uh, I, I know that people, uh, even with Infratel, love them uh, for, for, for a longer time than I do. Uh, I always was in digital watches, but not specifically into G-Shocks. Uh, that only became kind of serious, like, uh, I think, 10 years ago. I, I, I bought my first... Uh, G-Shocks and and they were all over the place. They were different colors. They were different models. They uh, uh, I had I, I bought quite some serious models as well, like the uh, the RAF uh, uh, specialized models. That they, they were quite expensive as well, for, even for someone uh, collecting uh, high-end wristwatches. And that brought me as well to a point that I I. I uh, didn't see the, the trees for the woods. It was so much. There were so much, so many different uh, models that uh, I look for a certain waypoint in my in my collection, and and that certainly was the squares. I love the original square where it all started with uh, beginning of the eighties. So sold quite some. Uh, I still have some which I don't consider part of my uh, of my current collection, and I really looked into the direction of the original squares with which models the models that that looked like the one in 1983 and that that's where my collection headed and then uh, to answer your question in the first place then you uh, at a certain point you realize that there's so many different modules so that there's there's although these watches they they look a lot a lot alike there's so many different modules in in functionality and and and, and these kind of things and and that's what the that's the direction my my collection went in to to try to find a model looking like the original uh, uh, G-Shock square, but then with all the different modules. That is a very interesting angle to have taken because for me and I collect G-Shock squares. I say nominally, I only have about six or so in my collection, and I have a bunch of other Casios that I like as well. But I really really buy them purely from an aesthetic perspective. I love the different colorways. I love the strap printing. 
I like crazy special editions. Like the most recent one I bought was a Budweiser model done in collaboration with Bodega, the uh, New York pop-up store, I think is how I describe it. Um, But for you, seeking out those, those nuanced technical differences is where the real fun began. Talking of beginnings, however, and I hate to bring this up, but I'm going to have to because I have to do my due diligence as a host. Of all the Fratelli, you were the most, shall we say, conscious around the time of the G-Shock's first appearance in the early 80s. So some of us weren't even born then. Uh, I know Lex, Lex was in his early teens, but the rest of us were still uh, in, in nappies. Uh, of course, some of us still are. I was wondering, what did it, what did it mean to you at the time if you've only been collecting them for 10 years maybe it was something that wasn't even on your radar i don't know did you did you know of them and sort of dismiss them or was it just not to your liking until later on in your collecting career no i certainly got the point already at that time but it wasn't uh, the type of watch i was uh, i i wasn't seriously watch collecting at that time uh, in the early 80s i i think my my Serious watch collecting started um, uh, beginning of the 90s but already then because I started, well, not seriously, but collecting uh, watches already at a very, very early age. But I just bought uh, watches which which appealed to me. And that could be anything. It could be analog, it could be digital. And it wasn't specifically the G-Shock, which appealed to me extra over uh, other digital watches uh, or, or even analog watches uh, at that time. So I, 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 I didn't really felt the shockwave and i i don't even think that the shockwave at that time was as big as it is at the moment because uh, well the, the g-shocks are are quite a thing at the moment as we know uh, at that time i don't think it was it wasn't such a thing i i, I didn't experience that i mean that's an excellent pun i don't know if you've been planning that for a while the shockwave of g-shocks as it ripples through the industry <laughs> um so you think that we've kind of retroactively um aggrandized the early days of g-shock since they have survived so long and become such a big deal now in the modern world we look back on the past with more fondness perhaps yes and and it wasn't probably not even deliberately done so but i mean if a product after 40 years is still um so alive and so attractive um We've seen that with other uh, totally different watches as well. I mean, uh, take as an example the Omega Speedmaster Professional. True. At the time, it was just a, 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 it was just a, a chronograph, a good chronograph, of course. Uh, but I think at the time it came uh, it came onto the market uh, in the early sixties. Uh, it, it wasn't so so special as it is at the moment, and of course it helped that it went to the moon. But but uh, the attractiveness of the watch, even now after sixty years, is so big that it has to be something special. I think that is with the G shocks and certainly with the with the squares the case as well. It's uh, it's so long in the market and it's uh, it survived so long that it it, it has to be good and right right so you think maybe greatness takes a little bit of time to reveal itself to us in many instances uh, yes i think so i think so and then as well the brands of course use it as well they uh, they understand that they have a product in their hands that uh, 
that obviously is is that good and they um, they will point you to its history as well uh, because of that because it's so long on the market it deserves kind of a credibility over time and uh, and that's used by, by the marketing departments as well you know what's interesting about a product that's so affordable like a g-shock square in comparison to other industry classics like say the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak or the Patek Philippe Nautilus if we want to barrel them into the same conversation. I'm actually going there. That's right. I am about to do this. Um, <laughs> is They're so ubiquitous and they're so easily attainable and there's so many of them. G-Shock or Casio as an overarching strategic leader must have to work so hard to keep this product relevant and new and fresh and exciting. And the modular updates are one thing. The aesthetic tweaks are, of course, another and almost limitless with this kind of palette that they're working with. But do you think that somehow that legacy makes it harder for them to get really experimental with new products such as your all-titanium version that you showed me recently? Yeah, it, it makes it harder because um, uh, I can understand that uh, that uh, Casio or G-Shock wants to move in a certain direction but not losing their credibility, which they built up in the past. So it's it's quite delicate to uh, to bring a new product on the other hand it all started with a square uh, gsoc started with a square and we've already seen from the from from the 90s that they that gsoc uh, moved in different ways they were always separate uh, separate models separate model lines which um, wouldn't uh, affect the original uh, square uh, if something went wrong with those or if they weren't that popular or whatever. I don't think it's that difficult. Uh, it is difficult to to keep the originality within the product as well. And I think uh, with the titanium model, which you just mentioned, they did a very, very good job, although it will take quite some time for the general public to understand what happened. Visually, there's hardly any difference between the, the, the resin model and the titanium model, but as soon as you get it in your hands, as soon as it's on your wrist, you, you can see all the, the details, the differences uh, in the production process, the difference in material, of course. It becomes a high-end model, a high-end watch, uh, because of its construction and, and the materials used, but still, it's still the same the same, same original uh, square G-Shock, so it, it didn't lose anything of its originality. I must admit that I was I was in the unconvinced camp until I had it in my hands as well, because just like you say, from looks alone and seeing it only through a screen as I did in the early days, I was, yeah, unconvinced is, is the way to put it entirely. And then I held it and I realized it was an entirely different proposition, something very, very new and something quite exciting, I think, for the future of G-Shock and I don't want you to reveal exactly what you do with that model because we've talked about it separately and uh, that's all confidential because hopefully one day we can talk to Cassio and get them to bring it to life but um, for our listeners who haven't had the chance to experience it yet what is it about that model and that wearing experience specifically that makes it such a different watch. It sure isn't only the price. <laughs> the price is very different. Uh, um, a regular one starts at, well, let's say uh, 130 euros. And uh, I think the titanium ones are uh, uh, like 1,500. So it's in, in a totally different league. What makes the, the, the whole feeling of the watch, but as well the uh, the construction and, and the f certainly the finishing uh, of the watch makes it a totally different product. Of course, the use of the material sapphire crystal, and so on instead of, uh, of, of, of a regular 
uh, that that makes a difference as well. But that's all too technical, and 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't hang the price up on these kind of uh, difference in materials. Although titanium, of course, uh, is a lot more expensive than resin, and it's very difficult to uh, uh, to finish in the way uh, uh, G Shock did. Um, but the whole package, the whole feeling uh, when wearing this uh, this product on your wrist is a totally different thing than than wearing the the resin one. And this is something absolutely not visible on on pictures, certainly not on, on screen pictures. You can picture those two watches next to each other, the resin one and the titanium one, and hardly see any difference at all. So then it's very difficult if you see two such different prices below these kind of pictures and understand what's happening. So this is a strange thing to say, perhaps, but often, in my opinion, quality is quiet and it's not something that shouts at you from across a room. Is it possible, would you say, to see the difference in some almost intangible way of that watch's quality when it's on your wrist? Like if I were to walk into a room and I could look at your wrist and would I be able to tell in some way, on some level, that there was something quite special going on there? rather than just a regular resin G-Shock? The term quality is very difficult in this, uh, at this point, I think, because then you should define what quality means in this kind of watches and why would a titanium one be better than a, a resin one? I don't think it is. It's just a, it's a different product, but the, the resin ones, they, they, they're up to the job as good and mm. maybe even better than the titanium ones. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, I mean, if, if, if I want to work in the garden, I certainly don't use my titanium one. I use a plastic one. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry, resin. You'll be blacklisted now. That's it. You're off the mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, I, I, I'm sorry, Mr. B-Shock. I didn't say this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you know what I what I mean? I mean, the, the, it's, it's not really a difference in quality, but it's I, I probably it's more the, the difference in, in finish and what it all takes to produce such a special product as a titanium G-Shock Square. It just take, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to uh, to produce such a watch. And you can see it, you can feel it, but very difficult from a, from a picture. I guess what you're saying is quality is defined by a product's intended application. So, uh, you know, a hammer is better off um, made out of, I don't know, steel or iron or whatever they make hammers out of rather than white gold yeah you know so like you said, it's a luxury hammer it's completely useless but it's a luxury hammer so it's a different thing talking of white gold though white gold has always annoyed me a little bit because i, I think visually it looks just well not quite like steel but similar to steel on mm-hmm. the wrist and um people have for that reason always said it was the, the one of the finest materials for stealth luxury yeah. is this new g-shock the future of stealth luxury um yeah, in terms of G-Shocks, uh, definitely. It's. I don't think that G-Shock made this watch to be better up to his task. Uh, uh, the titanium, I mean, uh, better up to the task than the resin one. Mm-hmm. There's there's a different reason to produce such a product, and I think that this certainly is. Uh, yeah, it's kind of luxury. It's uh, it's it's a luxury watch. It's sold out, right? It, it went pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Most of the titanium models are uh, one-shot productions, so uh, they produce a certain amount. G-Shock, as far as I know, never uh, informs about uh, uh, what kind of numbers, but um, these models, uh, they uh, yeah, this, this was the first one. It was it was the, the, the titanium one, uh, well, the one I, I got uh, and, and you saw from me and you, you tried on. It was the first one they did in titanium, 
And so it, that was a bit, and here comes again, another shockwave in the, in the industry because uh, <laughs> a square, a G-Shock square doesn't cost 1,500 euros, it costs 150 euros. So uh, people had to get used a bit to it. But uh, then as well, in the end, it was it was sold out quite quickly and you saw other, other media titles picking it up uh, uh, quite quickly, even in their shops as well. Mm-hmm. Rev- Revolution, Hodinkee, they all had them uh, on sale, but only for a very short time. They were, they were sold out quite quite quickly. Who do you think bought it? What kind of customer? Um, I think mainly people uh, that are watch collectors uh, already. Uh, I don't think this is the, the, your your first G-Shock watch you'll, you'll ever buy. Good grief. Could you imagine? I mean, that would be one hell of a way to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But no, no. I, I mean, you, you have to, uh, you have to be able to, um, to see what happened to the product and, and what kind of product it is to, uh, to love it and to buy it for this kind of, uh, of value. And how many pieces do you have in your collection now that you would describe in this G-Shock Canon? Hmm. Um, well, in my square collection, and uh, so those are mainly the the, the, the original designs, black uh, square, like the uh, the original uh, five thousand. Uh, that'll be like twenty five, I think. Twenty five. That's that's substantial. I love that you defined that it was specifically the squares. I recently bought myself a Cassie Oak uh-huh. for the first time, a heavily modified one that I've shown you, right? The LP Edits, yeah, uh, limited edition. Which is not an official limited edition, I don't, I don't believe, but Casio should be pretty pleased about what he did to it with his uh, mm-hmm. spray painting ability, and yeah. that's kind of broadened my horizons in a way that I almost regret now because I was quite happy to just be a square <laughs> hoarder myself, and I wore the Casio, and I have to say now, I'm kind of, oh, I'm kind of thinking I like it more. I, I know what you mean. I, I like that watch uh, very much as well, and. Um... I know that I'm guilty uh, uh, on buying quite some G-Shock outside of my Square collection uh, for this reason, because they, they do produce very nice uh, different watches to the to the regular Squares, which just appeal to me and which I just happen to buy and add to my collection. But it's, uh, I mean, my general G-Shock collection might be, um, well, might be twice uh, as large as the squares and the other ones are just all over the place just because i like them and, <laughs> and yeah and there's there's one of the uh, the original uh, cassie oaks as well the black one with white uh, with white markers oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. that's a clean look that's a yeah really it was one of the three they um, they started this series with and uh, i i immediately liked it uh although it's not a square and i saw G-Shock moving in a direction that it, it was kind of a square because it was uh, octagonal as well. and But, well, it's a totally different shape in my eyes. I, can I think imagine. it's a totally different shape in everyone's eyes. I'm pretty sure shapes are defined by the amount of sides they have. So it's not like controversial to say a square is different from an octagon. <laughs> no, that's true. I, 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 <laughs> a square. Yeah. No, well, even the squares they have uh, little sides on the on the corners, haven't they? So they have eight sides as well. So I saw that. Uh, true, 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 true. Okay, I see, I see. I could imagine that uh, that G-Shock one uh, wants to make a link to the to the original one because well, that that's where all the all the credits come from, doesn't it? Wow. 
What a revelation. It only took us 20 minutes or so, but we finally established that the G-Shock square isn't actually a square at all. It's a, it's a subtle octagon. <laughs> <laughs> it is. What a revelation. What a bombshell. What a shockwave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, next in the room is the fridge to my freezer, mm. the apple of my eye, mm. my, uh, <laughs> oh, mm. my, my in-house love affair. Don't, don't tell the missus. It's Balazs. How are you, buddy? What's up, man? I'm good. How are you? How are things in uh, East Germany? Uh, you know how it is. Uh, it's fine over here. My Casio collection is growing by the day. I need to stop what is becoming an unhealthy habit now. I finally imported all of my Casios from back home, so I now have them in my phosphorus leather nice. watch box. Uh, the top drawer is all full of Casios. I've got my two Mudmasters, two generations of the uh, same Mudmaster model, you know, the, the uh, older and twice as expensive version and the modern, slightly more advanced version, but, you know, very aesthetically different. I've got my Casio, I've got my six or, is it six or seven squares? I forget. And I've got my Skywalker and my Surf Timer. It's looking, looking fire. You would love it. Jesus, that's a nice collection compared to mine. Yeah, it's getting there. What have you got? What's in your collection? <laughs> I got one. You got one. <laughs> no, nah, it's actually, it's not, well, it's true and it isn't. Because um, I think like every kid, I was into Casios, so I had the G-Shocks and stuff. Like that was, a, at least for me when I was a kid, which is around the same time when you were a kid. Right. In the 90s, early 90s and, and mid 90s. And and um, I had a, a little uh, Casio. It wasn't my first watch, but it was my second watch because my first, first watch kind of disappeared in the you know, mist of history back then. But the second one, which I wore probably throughout, I guess throughout uh, school, like like junior high school and all the way up until high school, I guess, was a, was a Casio. And I asked my mom the other night if she could take a picture of the case back so I can, I can tell you the reference number. But she asked me, where's the watch? I said, I don't know. Last time I saw the watch, it was a picture that you sent me on WhatsApp. So you know, should know where the watch is. And she said, well, I don't know where the watch is. Where is it? <laughs> well, I can repeat myself. I don't know. Last time the watch was somewhere, uh, you know, in the vicinity of a camera. It was in your hands. But long story short, my mom could not find the watch. So there's no picture. I just went very, very bad picture, which she took. Uh, but I blame it on um, the bad lighting, not of my mom's photography skills, because that's obviously um, off the chain. Yeah, you know, firstly, I actually never imagined you to have a mom, like regular parents. Yeah, I just sort of thought you just sort of like came into existence one day. It's so weird to imagine that there's like a female responsible for this. Uh, there is a woman. There's a there's a woman fifty percent responsible for me, and there's a man oh. who's the other fifty percent. At least uh, that's even more terrifying. You have a father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. Oh my! Oh my goodness! So you're just a regular, like biological human. That's a that's a big shock to me. I'm just I'm just a human being, like all of you. You know, I know people don't believe that they think I'm some <laughs> special, but I'm really not. I'm just a human. I'm just an average guy. <laughs> mm. So, do you think that your mother, who I'm still slightly unconvinced exists, do you think she's stolen your Casio? I no, I think she misplaced it because it was always <laughs> in a drawer, and then she said, "Last time I saw it, it was in, in your room and one of the shelves." I'm like, "Yeah, I never." put that watch there so it must have been you so i think she just probably misplaced it i'm not even sure if the watch is running anymore but i know that i went through a number of plastic straps for the watch you know because you know this is the, the the casio from the 90s 
where the strap was not made of rubber, but this this finicky plastic stuff, which eventually would break oh, yeah, as yeah. you would take it, you know, uh, try to lace it on and off. And I remember going to this watchmaker um, in my hometown, and he would always have a Casio strap, but it was never exactly the same. So I went through like three, four, five straps. I'm not sure. And I always had to take my little pocket money and pay for the strap. Yeah, and it was a, it was a, an analog and a digital watch. So there's an analog um, part for dial for the for the um, just only hour and minute hand, and then there was a digital um, display at the bottom, which you know you would usually have on these watches in the 90s with like alarm and not many functions. And it even had a little bar or like a little grill to protect the the the, the crystal. Kind of like the oh, like a bumper, yeah, something like that. Kind of, and which you could like, you could uh, take it off, like flip it off, and it would it would yeah, come yeah, off, yeah, and then you yeah, could yeah. like snap it back on. Something like the 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 Certina Cascadeur, but but not really because those I think are are welded or screwed on the on the case, and this was like an actual thin, I don't know, was made of plastic or whatever. Yeah, like a bump. Yeah, don't don't a lot of the uh, baby G's have those, you know? The sort of double bumper. Something like that, but this is much 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 thinner. It was much slimmer profile. It, it was more of a just a, a regular I would say 39 mm black, you know, digital Casio with with these uh with these bars. And then sometimes when I wanted to go like classy, I would take them off and when I wanted to go sporty, I would pop them back on. Wow, what a cool dude you were! Yeah, man, um, your imaginary parents must have been so proud of you. Just forwarded you, just forwarded you a shot on the on WhatsApp. By the way, you can have a look at it. This is my my mom's photo. Right, so I have I have a, an image taken by Balaj's, um former host. Um, <laughs> this is cool. This is very very throwback. This is not what I was expecting. This is uh, yeah, an Anna Digi with the little digital display at the very bottom of the screen and some. Pretty nice red syringe hands, or the minute hand looks like a syringe hand. Our hand's like a sword hand. That's cool. Yeah, kind of. Hey, what the heck is the uh, kind the, of the aperture between fifteen and twenty seconds? The red line there is that a second aperture? Oh, that's oh, um, that's a good question. Because if you look at the sixty, there's like a bezel going on, but uh, oh, yeah. at yeah, the fifty-nine, the bezel it. disappears. You see it? So from 37 to 59, there's like no bezel, which is, by the way, part of the ah, design. Cool. Guys, well, we so need to find out what that is. We need to it. find out what that is and put it in the show notes because that is very interesting. So assuming your mom hasn't flogged it on eBay, uh, we should be able to um, get it defined sooner rather than later. I don't believe it's 39 millimeters, though. I think that's way, way, way too big. That watch looks like it's more like 34 or 35. Maybe. I'm not sure. I was a, I was a little boy back then. Could have been 35 or 36, something like that. But it's, it's, a, it's a man's watch, man. It's not, it's not a lady. Uh, yeah, all right. All right. I'm not saying it isn't. Uh, I mean, my first watch ever was a Casio uh, F94WA9, um, which is one of the very basic ones defined um, – by its also identified by its yellow bars above and below the screen and the circular yeah. uh, menu display in the top right hand corner, and I was surprised to find because I've lost that one years ago mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to buy it back recently. I was surprised to find that it was actually only thirty four millimeters in diameter, and you know Casios are squares, so they wear a lot bigger than their diameters suggest. Right. That was a, that was a shock to me that I'd been like living under the delusion that it was just a regular sort of thirty eight or something. All my life. My dad still wears a very similar watch. And he actually replaced the plastic strap with a Velcro strap. 
Ooh. Which is awful, actually. It's not a Casio official strap. He does have the tiny a tiny compass on this Velcro strap as well, and it's the most like functional but mm-hmm. awful watch setup going. The watch itself is mint. I love it. Does your dad also have these um, pocket protectors for his pens on his shirt? He doesn't, but that's because he doesn't have pens in his shirt pocket, right? Because that's what I imagine a, a grown-up man. I know. I mean, I, I don't know your dad, but it's nothing against him. But I can imagine those, you know those guys wearing these F91Ws, which which this one reminds me of. Yeah, it's basically the same. With, yeah. yeah, basically the same with with those pocket pocket um, protectors for the shirt that you put their their pens on. All these mathematicians and you know you need to watch it, mate, because I actually have an F91W on right now, and Ooh. on and I have it on my left wrist, and on my right wrist I have a uh, W59, which is a weird one. It's a little tiny. It's the same. Well, it's the same size, but it looks smaller because it's slightly more curvaceous around the edge of the case, and it's all white. This uh, W59. It's a pretty special looking thing on a fabric strap. I mean, I have to say the the F91W is possibly my favorite Casio ever. Well, it's unbeatable. I wear it when I'm running. I wear it when I'm in the garden. I wear it like, well, I don't know. Sometimes I have it on my other wrist when I've got a mechanical on on the left just to see how the timekeeping's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's better to heck this one. It's not a black one, actually. It's one of the silver-colored resin-cased models. So it's just the sort of painted plating over what looks to be like a light gray um, substrate. Mm-hmm. But it's a really nice-looking thing, and it was only about 20 euros or something, yeah. 25 euros. 15 euros on Amazon. Years. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's unbeatable. I think everywhere. It's funny, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, when I see people, and they're like, ah, look at this. This is it's just a casual. Like, Man, this is awesome. And they're like, really? I think, I think it's not really awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. I think these are very cool watches. Dramatic pause. Secret features and hidden screens. Episode one. Okay, talking about my F91W, did you know that these models are a little cleverer than they look on the surface? And they feature, along with, I believe, every Casio, a little counterfeit checker to make sure you've got the genuine article? I've heard of it, but I've never tested mine. So if you know the combination, let me know. Well, it's really simple. Like for a while, I thought it was a combination of buttons, like similar to the old. Up C, left C, down C, right C, sonic code, or whatever it was. But it's nothing that complicated. You just have to hold down the 24-hour button. So for me, that's the one on the right, on the lower side. There's only one button there. You've got two buttons. You've got the light and the mode on the left-hand side, and then you've got nothing and the 24-hour button. You hold it down for about five seconds, and Casio appears on the screen. So that's a pretty cool feature, and it makes a very simple watch, which costs no money whatsoever. Like just that little bit cooler, I think. But anyway, mm. look, right now you say you have one G-Shock in your collection. Yeah. What will the next yeah. one be? Shame on Mia for having only one watch. Well, you know, you know. So I have the GWB 5600-002ER, uh, which is this uh, tough solar black g-shock with the inverse dial and the bluetooth connection and there's an app then you can connect the watch to the app and what basically to your phone and things like that and that's a pretty cool watch and i i I have to say i love it i bought this kit for it to make it steel a steel case and steel bracelet which you can hear here but i love it in the with the raisin case and i was thinking for the second one, I wanted to do something like get one of those special editions you know like i think you have the budweiser 
uh, or didn't you? Or did you buy it? The, the Budweiser edition? I did. Of course I did. I've got it here with me now in Germany. And actually, I was wearing it. I wore it on my birthday a couple of weeks back. Yeah. Um, everybody was like, oh, what, what's she going to wear on your birthday? As if for some reason, like it was a special day that required a special watch. Right. And I'm normally rocking up with that Chapek on whenever I go to the pub. And I was like, well, I don't really have anything like specialer than the Chapek. So I was thinking, well, what is the most appropriate thing for me to wear in this situation where I could easily like, you know, find myself tumbling home rather than walking in the straight line. Sure. And I thought, oh, I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for it ever since I bought that watch. And I cracked out the Budweiser Casio G-Shock from its can. It comes in a, a plastic Budweiser can no. as its packaging. It's awesome. Normally, I don't care for packaging. I normally want it to be as disposable as possible so i don't have the pressure of keeping it but this one was awesome so i just i popped it open popped it on nice it has like um a total backlight with the budweiser logo on it as well so it's just um it is a no holds barred celebration of beer and watchmaking i did give you this sound when you open it (laughs) unfortunately like the whole silver top of the can like just pops off it would have been funny but i did make i did make that sound with my mind yeah (laughs) I'm not an idiot. No, no, absolutely not. Um, no, that's a that's a that's a cool one. Um, what if I go vintage? Because I'm thinking Casio Pro Trek, and you have you have Google in front of you. Type this in. P R T as in Pro Trek. P R T dash one G P, and see what comes up. Good grief! Yes, that's what I need. Wow, that's what I, oh, need. I think we. We all need one of those. Yes. It's a 1999 Casio Pro Trek uh, GPS PRT-1 GP or 2 GP, depending on which version you have. The The first version is the, the one uh, GP that has the um, the words GPS on the button. I think the second version has like global positioning system on the button. And it also comes with a receiver. It's huge or or, or charger. I'm not even sure. But I remember seeing this watch back in the 90s and I was like, what the hell is this? This looks awesome. And you can get it for like under 100 euros now on eBay. Obviously, it's 20 20 plus years out of production. That is a serious piece of kit. Does that still work, you think, like with the current GPS satellites? I I mean, I I have no idea. I would think yes. I would think yes. You know, for less than 100 bucks or even double that i mean that's worth picking one of those up and finding out isn't it yeah it's, i mean you can find a lot on on ebay uh, for some reason swiss ebay comes up and it's about 170 francs 250 220 something like this so it's not cheap right it's not because like how much is a g-shock like a basic G-Shock. like i bought this one for like 50 euros or 80 euros i'm not even sure uh compared I to a that, couple of hundred for that budweiser yeah well that's a limited edition and stuff like that so but th- this watch is is insane, and it's big, it's thick. I mean, it's from the nineties. It's it looks like a TV. You're wearing a TV, but it's not. It's a huge GPS watch, basically GPS tracking watch. It gives you the the your um, your GPS coordinates. The coordinates, yes, thank you. Exactly. It's got a battery compartment that looks like you could pack your lunch in it. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. <laughs> it's crazy, right? And the yeah, and the, the display is like. 1.5 centimeters by three centimeters <laughs> okay okay that's uh homework for the next episode you have to try and locate one of these and uh, as many of these crazy casio pro trek watches as you can find they are pretty special pretty special okay okay what about g-shock what g-shock are you gonna buy next so i don't know i was thinking about uh getting 
one of the the ones that everybody seems to be wearing these days. Um, you know which one that is, or which type of G-Shock that is. It's the poor man's AP. Oh, the Casio. Yeah. So yeah, I was just talking to G2 about this because I've just recently bought one and kind of fallen in love with it a little bit for its wearability. I love it. Oh yeah? Yeah, seriously. I mean, I've got, like I say, I've got a few of those squares and I wear them sparingly. I don't find them uncomfortable at all, but I was mesmerized by how much the Casio seemed to sort of fit my wrist better and hugged it in this way that the squares often sit on my wrist and they're so light mm-hmm. and the strap is so flexible. It's never been uh, a cause for any concern whatsoever. But the Casio really sat down low on my wrist and gave a really strange wearing experience, much thinner on the wrist than I expected it to be. Obviously, it sort of has a bit more visual breadth to it anyway. Um, and I was I was really impressed. And I got, uh, and like I said uh, on the uh, talk I had with, with G2, Mm-hmm. Mine was uh, a non-official limited edition from an artist who had graffitied the uh, carbon core guard on the skeleton version. Mm. So it's like brightly colored and splattered with paint. It's, I've used the pictures of it on com a couple of times just to illustrate um, a point of comparison when I was talking about the new metal version also. But yeah, I, I really, really, really think if Casio does more like wild special editions in that, Canon, I'll be buying them. If they do a Budweiser one or a Miller Lite version of the Cassio, sign me up. I'm there. Now, here's the question. Would you get the the Royal Oak uh, steel bracelet and frame kit for 120 bucks? Because you can do that. You can do that. And nah, not a chance. No, what I like about Cassio is the lightness on, on the wrist and how you can get so much presence and so much, like, so much character for so little. You don't need to fanny around with all of these add-ons or these aftermarket modification True. kits. And you could. You could if you want to, mm. yeah. But the thing is, to me, making a watch which is good and distinct in its own right look like another watch that you can't afford because you want the other watch you can't afford is crazy. I like the Casios because they are Casios. Yeah. I don't have a Royal Oak. I don't want a Royal Oak. I want another Casio. And I'm not saying if someone said, would you swap an AP Royal Oak for one of my Casios, I would maybe possibly do that and just buy the Casio again. Right. Because that's just a financial decision. However, like there is a reason why I have gone crazy, like chasing things like the Bamford G-Shock, which I have next to me in my office right now, the the Budweiser one, I've got a Gorillas one, Mm-hmm. I've got a black and red. I've got this cool Bluetooth one that was the only thing I've ever bought with air miles. I saved up my air miles from Lufthansa and bought myself a G-Shock. I went, I flew to Munich to pick it up just for a laugh. Guess what? Um, well, that's what I did as well. Hey, I use my. That's the way I to use, do it. I use my air miles to buy this G-Shock, the one with the Bluetooth. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. You spe- Is it the one with the metallic blue uh, surround yeah. to the screen? Yeah, 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 ah, yeah, I got the same one. Yeah, same yeah. one it's with the negative display. Exactly. As I said, the fifty-six double oh, yeah, O. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, with the Bluetooth. Oh, you know, I don't remember this, the the reference numbers, but I've got all these. I've got all these in, models in my collection, and I was rabid for them before I had them. I was desperate. I was like, I was clicking refresh on on websites to get the special editions like in time when they launched i was sat there with my credit card out oh this is gonna be great i can't wait to get it super excited i have never felt that rush of excitement about an ap royal oak so i'll be damned if i take a perfectly good watch that has its own character and its own reasons to get excited about and Mm. dress it up 
like something else that I've never even desired. So no, thank you. Yeah. I'll keep the plastic. Thank you very much. I have the, as I said, I bought the case, but it's not a, not a Royal Oak case. It's just a metal case for the G-Shock because I wanted to see how it feels. And it was like 15 bucks, not 150. And I love it because it comes with the screwdrivers and I can swap it out and have some heft on my, on my wrist with the G-Shock if I want to. But I can also swap it back to the, to the original resin case and, um, and brace, I mean, strap. So yeah, I like it, but it's, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get the, the kit either, but I like that watch. It's just, I see it all the time. So. I'm thinking maybe I should just get another another normal, regular, classic, whatever you want to call it, G-Shock. You know, the the black one with the red uh, frame around the dial. Well, you know, we've just had an article um, very recently on Fratello by G2 himself documenting the new GW M5610U which is basically the modular update of the model you're describing, like the classic black resin yeah. with the thin red line and yeah. the sort of mustard yellow and the baby blueprint on the dial. That is a sweet looking watch. The new one is, I think, in almost always better. It has a couple of really good upgrades. It's got European date format, and it's also got dates or days, should I say, in six different languages, which is something the previous model didn't have, only had it in English and only had US or Asian date format. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know the difference, the uh, US and Asian date format puts the month first and the date second in Europe. We do it the other way around. So like, uh, what was the example? Uh, G2 used 0309 to the Americans would be March 9th mm-hmm. and 0309 for us would be the 3rd of September. I mean, we say it differently as well, don't we? We, we write it as we say it. Yeah. I think they even say March 9, right? I'm not even sure they say March 9th in America, but um, whatever. Uh, now everyone can be satisfied by this new module. And the crazy thing is, in Europe, the official list price of that is $129. Euros, <laughs> obviously. 129 euros, which is about $160 these days, I guess. But mm. how good is that? Yeah, it's, that's a, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I should get it. I think I'm, you should. I'm happy I with it. I think I should as well. Yeah, but you could have two. That's always yeah, better can, than one. Yeah, I can, and I have the inverted display, so I want one with the normal one with the regular. I'm display. a big, I'm a big fan of positive displays. I don't love the negative ones at all. If I'm being honest, I have two negatives. I have the black and red, and I have the Bluetooth one that you have as well. Yeah, and I think they're cool as hell, and I wear them because they're cool. I do not wear them for their legibility. In comparison to a positive display, for me, it's no contest. You know you know what? I never even in realized that it's a negative display until G-Shock, uh, G-Shock, G- G-Pops, <laughs> <laughs> until G-Pops pointed it out to me. Oh, weird, weird. It does, yeah, you're right. It doesn't scream it because it's a very stealthy looking watch, but. Yeah, I just look, I just wore it for, for a few days, even a few weeks, and he said, oh yeah, no, this one, that's only the negative display. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, it is indeed negative, but. But you know why he's so hot on that? Because he, modded his own yes. to turn it into a positive right yes he did but am i going to do it with mine nope no never just buy the new one never yeah no i'm not i'm i'm, I'm happy with either and um i'm looking forward to the new uh, limited editions if something comes up that i like as i like as i said i like the, the budweiser i like the nasa as well but i think we talked oh, yeah. about this in one of the podcasts like the problem with the white watches that eventually they become yellow and i don't want that yeah that is a bit of an issue with all white especially mm-hmm. on the strap because the strap always goes first yeah. and i think the budweiser which has a red strap and a white case will probably last a little bit longer and of course it's has the advantage of being kept in a box out of sunlight and 
it's only infrequently worn given the um, number of watches I cycle through. But yes, in general, white does cause me some concern. However, this W59 that I have um, on my right wrist is white, and I've been wearing that for about four years in extreme sunlight because it's one of the watches I wear while I'm gardening or running. And it's, uh, yeah, it's completely white still. Totally white. Well, maybe they found a way to keep it, but I think it's the same thing that goes with sneakers. You know, you can buy a white pair of sneakers, leave them in the box and take them out after two years. It's going to be yellow regardless. Well, maybe, but like I say, this one has uh, aged surprisingly well. I think I'd be more worried if it had a white resin strap as well. And uh, those ones I am a little reluctant to go for. Mm -hmm. But if if I can ever get my hands on a NASA G-Shock, I will, because I just think they are so cool. So cool. Yeah, you can pick them up secondhand on eBay, but it's uh, quite a few pounds or dollars or euros these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 900 yeah. to be exact is a few ones for, say, 850, 900. Oh, oh God. I mean, it's um, it's understandable why brands do special editions, of course. Like, they have to be able to plan their production calendar, mm-hmm. and they uh, also have to be mindful of their retailer network and keeping everybody happy. It's one of the things that came up um, in one of our recent special edition announcements, people were saying, why have you done so few models? And it's like, well, you have to understand that brands aren't just um, working for one outlet at any one time. They're always keeping in mind the other people that sell their watches and promote their brand around the world. And you can't do too many special editions uh, too high a volume of a model that is perhaps more desirable than the core collection in some ways because it will cannibalize the core collection. Yeah, And while Casio themselves, or itself, should I say, um, reaps the financial benefits, they lose out on the reputational benefits that having an active and engaged and infused retailer network brings along with it. So the sad thing is, while I don't think brands should increase the volume of limited editions for those reasons, there must be some better way we can ensure they don't go to the hands of flippers because this really upset me. I actually lost a lot of sleep over it this weekend thinking about it. I was thinking, I, I, I've overseen special edition projects for all the right reasons and I can tell you why we have to do special edition projects and why brands work the way they do till I'm blue in the face. But it doesn't change the reality of the fact that if we put out a model that has so few pieces that once they're sold out, they're going to be trending on eBay for eight, 900 euros, which is how much? Like... 500, 600, 700 euros over the list mm-hmm. price, then there's a problem, right? You know, the wrong people are buying these watches. And that sounds a bit a bit harsh to say that someone is the right person and the wrong person. But let's put it down to their intentions. You know, people with the wrong intentions are buying these watches. I have that Bamford model right next to me. I'm probably going to wear it a handful of times while uh, during my life. And I'm going to enjoy it every time I wear it. If I turned around and flipped it for a profit, I would feel very dirty. I'd sooner give it away to a fellow G-Shock lover. That's what I'd rather do. If I ever want to move on from a watch, I'd sooner give it away. Is this practice of buying and flipping? It's bad news. Ah, but that's... I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, but that's not how people think sometimes. They want to jump on the bandwagon or they think that buying whatever product, they can jump on the bandwagon. Remember just recently, somebody, a fellow um, media outlet, did a collaboration with said brand, and remember how many of those watches land on eBay minutes after they started to release them. I actually don't know which one of the many examples you're talking about here because I can, I can pull about five straight out of my head yeah, right now. It's, let's it's say shocking. It's a, it's a media outlet from the United States. 
Oh, okay. I'm yeah. aware. I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I that, mean, there's a couple of a couple of other examples of these limiteds mm-hmm. hitting Chrono Twenty Four and other um, pre-owned marketplaces before they've even been delivered. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Just uh, just uh, the screenshot with the allocation number. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things do happen, and I don't I don't condone that stuff either. But um, hey. I mean, there's a lot of stuff online now uh, with the, about the Pac-Man limited edition. I want to ask you, what do you think about that? Well, I got one. Uh, I, I, got, I, I actually bought one um, on a real whim, I have to admit. And I was a little bit taken by my peers' response to it. I know that G was excited by it. Did you buy one? Did RJ buy one? Mike bought one? I don't know. I didn't. Six of us. Six of us bought one in the end. Six of us. Um, and I was one of the last two to get it um, because... Four of the guys got them. I think it was Mike, RJ, G2, and maybe York. I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe York. And um, they got their orders right in, right at the very first moment. And I was sort of um and ahhing because I was like, do I really think I'm going to wear this? Is it fair to buy it if I'm not going to wear it? Um, should I let someone else buy it? And by the time I decided that I really wanted one and that it uh, offered something different to my collection, because I don't have any of the uh, A10 cases. That's what it's based on, right? Yes, um, I was too late to get it in the German market, which is where I'm based. So I ended up buying it in the Dutch market and having it sent to HQ as well. I w- I'm really, really, really intrigued by the metal bracelet. I just love, yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought it was lovely and I can't wait to see it next to my surf timer in my Skywalker in my box and then occasionally on my wrist. Yeah, it's a cool one. I like this. I like this, uh, the whole idea. It's the a- yeah, it's A100WEPC, I think, with the... I, I'm looking at the one with the gold case and the yeah, that's the one I got. That's uh, the one I got. So what about you? What you, you weren't tempted by it? No, I, I I thought about it. I looked at it, and but it's just uh, I I probably wouldn't wear it too often. And um, yeah, that was my that was my issue. I like it. I like the bracelet, as you said. I like the black and gold combination. I don't mm. mind Pac Man on it. I think people who think well, it's just childish or gimmicky. All right, dude. Right, oh, I like that. I like that. I Me mean, too. I, I, thing is, I don't really. It's not so much that I don't like to wear my Casios. I do, but I don't really buy them to wear. I actually buy them to look at them. In most cases, I wear my Mudmaster and I wear my um, GBD. Um, but I mean, I wear them for running or climbing or something. But hmm. the other ones, I just think they are just gloriously designed objects and i have i have a few swatches in my collection my corto maltese swatches as well um and my olympic swatches that i just buy to mostly look at um and i get them out of the box and i i turn them over in my hands and i marvel at them and i'm really pleased to have them and i enjoy them i guess and i I think that's a fair enough reason to to buy something and and own it Uh, and i occasionally wear them out but i really 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 I'm concerned about these pieces as collector's items. Um, Which they are. No other reason. No other reason than the fact I'm trying to sort of build my own little museum. I don't want to sell them. Like my surf timer and my Skywalker, especially the surf timer, that is probably in my top five favorite watches that I own out of 75 or so, you know, pieces that are mostly mechanical and mostly dwarf it in terms of value or perspective value. But it's such a cool watch that I had to find and buy as soon as I'd read about it, after Mike wrote it up about, I don't know, a year ago, and I got super lucky, and I found a really box-fresh version with a, an original, hardly-worn strap with the printing entirely intact on the strap, and it's so glorious. I daren't even wear it, even though I love it to bits. 
madness, right? No, not necessarily. That's well, that's what a, a collector would do, right? You collect right, to so. own, not necessarily to wear. I'm 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 not against c- collecting uh watches and just owning them and not wearing them or maybe wearing them occasionally. For me it's just I have so many watches. Do I need another one? No, not necessarily. So I, I completely agree with you. And the ones that I have, I, I love them. I enjoy them. And we can go on and on talking about that. I have a bunch of vintage watches with interesting calibers that I never wear because they're 34, 33 millimeters. But I still love them. And sometimes I think about, ah, should I consolidate and sell them all? No, not necessarily. Or maybe I'll do one day. But uh, but yeah, going back to Casio, they're really they're really cool, and especially the G-Shock line. I think that's that's what defines Casio, at least for me. It's been defining Casio since since I'm, I was a child. And I'm happy with mine, and I'm sure I'm going to add another one down the line. I really like these Bape uh, uh, limited edition that came out probably two years ago, I think, three years ago this time. I'm not sure. Um, but that, that ship has sailed. But would I pay 900 or 1200 for a NASA G-Shock? Absolutely not. And, um, hey, man, good luck selling it. Yeah, quite so. I mean, hopefully they'll do another... Um, round of NASA watches at some point. It seems like low-hanging fruit and clearly popular and I think would be well-received by the community because no real collector wants to pay that kind of money. And no re- no really sensitive brand, a brand that is sensitive to the importance of its community, as all should be, but I'm sure Casio is, want their collectors to be forced into paying that kind of money. Yeah, you have to find a way to like do a second edition that doesn't tread too heavily on the toes of the first, but if you can, I think the response by the community, would be absolutely 100% positive. Right, I agree. Well, let's wrap it up there. That was a thrilling ride, as always. Thanks for joining me on the Casio Collectors Podcast, Balaj, and I will see you back in the smooth booth for our next edition of Wasp, I'm sure. Yes, sir. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. Have fun with the rest of the crew. All right, next up on the list, it's Mike, Michael Stockton, calling us from where are you in the world today, Mike? I am actually in Frankfurt, Germany. Woo! So that's your um, default hometown these days, right? Yeah. So I've I've been moving about lately, but I'm I'm actually in the high mat right now. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> perfect. Perfect time. We're actually recording this segment of the podcast on the 29th of September, so just a few hours away from the launch of our Nomos Fratello Veltzite, the Hague edition collaboration piece and uh that's funny because hi matt used to be on the dial of the original velt sites as as we know right mike absolutely and uh that's an exciting looking piece beautiful it is very nice and we can talk about that ad nauseum some other day but today we are here to discuss <laughs> casio that's right your love of casio and how you got into the hobby of collecting casio watches so why don't you give us a little bit of backstory to bring us up to date yeah, so I mean, for those who who have read my articles, I think it's um, pretty obvious that I enjoy Japanese watches, and you know, I focus a lot on Seiko and Citizen and Orient, but Casio is always out there as 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 the other big name from Japan. And you know, Rob, over my history, at least professionally, uh, I've traveled to Japan quite a bit, and it's now been like almost four years, which is literally to the day, four years too long, because it is without a doubt, my favorite place to visit. Um, it's, uh, it's just such a unique, uh, unique place in the world food and just 
everything about it. It's it's very different from from other parts of of the world. And anyone who has been to Japan would know that uh, when you go shopping, the the products are just incredible. You know the the advertisements, and there's just a lot of excitement around things, and particularly limited edition products and just unique products for the market and. I of course went over looking for Seiko models and you know I'd spend time in these camera shops with of course cameras but great watch selections and at some point it's impossible not to get sucked into looking at all the different Casio models and that happened to me um I really didn't go to Japan with any plan of buying a Casio but you know, you pick up these colorful pamphlets and you see all these different advertisements and you take them back to the hotel and you start reading about them. And then the next day you're, you're out and about and you see that watch and you go, Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And Oh, by the way, you know, when I first went there, you know, 11, 12 years ago, um, you couldn't get a lot of these models in the rest of the world because there were a lot of JDM specials and Casio really hadn't branched out um, with everything like they have today to um, to all the different continents. So that led me to buying my first G-Shock. And I think it was in the 2009-10 timeframe. I was in the Akihabara section of Tokyo, which um, for anyone who, who is not familiar with that name, that's really the electronics corridor of Tokyo. I mean, you can buy electronics anywhere in Tokyo, but this is really like the, the borough of electronics and you get off the train and there are all kinds of kooky folks, you know, collecting everything from resistors to build something to actual consumer products. And you'd see like hundred thousand dollar TVs and, you know, things that they're just debuting on the market and also great selections of Casio watches. And I must tell you, I was not a huge digital fan at the time. And therefore, I was looking at all these different models, trying to get my head around which one I'd buy. I, I figured I'd wade in slowly. I wouldn't spend hundreds of dollars. I, I spent like, I think it was like $110 at the time. And I picked up a round model um, by the name of the AWG M500R, which was actually the first um, Anna Digi G-Shock. So if if you're a, a G-Shock fan, it's a, it's a round model. So it's actually probably the one that the one that I picked was closest to my kind of conventional normal analog watch tastes. So round, not too huge, and with three subdials. So it really looks like a chronograph, and it's not so big. Um, but what I really liked about it is that it's all black, and it's got orange detailing. Um, so the color combination was really attractive to me. And you know, I wore that watch, and I still do to this day for everything from running to, you know, it's helped me move houses and things like that. And the fantastic thing about a G-Shock is that you just can't kill it. I mean, this thing still looks virtually new other than like a little scuff mark on the side where I think I knocked it into a wall or something like that, but just an awesome watch. Um, solar powered. So it just fires right up. It's got the, um, the ability to, you know, check in with the local atomic clocks and, and reset itself. So, 
you know, 11, 12 years later, it's, it's still what I would call a really functional, useful piece of kit. I mean, that's a long time to last. And that was one heck of an intro. You just talked for yeah. five straight minutes. You know, I've been, I've been out to the shops. I've been to the toilet. I've made myself a coffee. <laughs> uh, and I've, I've been listening to it all. And I've, it's fascinating. You know, uh, I love it whenever I host podcasts. I find myself quite sick of my own voice very quickly. But this one, good grief, you can come back. I like having you on the line. <laughs> so Japan is where it started quite appropriately. But where else have you picked up Casios from and how many do you have in your collection now? I'm going to go make another coffee. So, you know, knock yourself out. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I actually have four. Um, so, so that's not a lot. I mean, especially compared to someone like our Herard, but you know, four isn't, is enough for me at the moment. And so, so where it went to next Rob was at the time, you know, the most elusive model line from G-Shock was the Frogman. And this was like the the mega G-Shock. And here again was something in the early 2010s not available outside of Japan, really. And, you know, I would go on eBay, I would look at these things, and they were pretty darn expensive. Um, and I was really kind of taken by the asymmetric design. You know, the left side juts out a little bit more. And it was just neat to look at how the model changed over time. You know, they went from solely battery powered to solar and, and things like that. And I think it was like on the next trip I took to Japan, um, I was in Shinjuku, which is a really cool, cool area of Tokyo for those who haven't stayed. If you saw, um, lost in translation, I think the hotel that, uh, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson were in was a was a Hyatt Park place in Shinjuku, so a lot of bright lights and things like that. But I was in an, an actual watch store, and um, I picked up a um, Frogman there, and that was the um, Frogman GF eighty two fifty. ER. So it's like a light blue and darker blue, uh, man in military colors, men in military colors model. And it's massive. Honestly, it's too big for my wrist, but with a G shock, you can kind of torque it down on that rubber bracelet and make it somehow work. And it's just super cool. It's really super cool. And it was expensive. I mean, it was like 500 bucks. That is quite a lot for some G-Shock models and certainly is not the price point most people associate with them. But I've also got a similarly massive uh, entrant in my collection. I've got the old Mudmaster, so not the newest one, which is a little smaller. Oh, yeah. And that was that was almost $1,000. So it's like, I guess, 800 and something uh, when it came out. And that seemed like a preposterous amount to spend on a Casio G-Shock at the time. But, you know, of all the watches I've bought and of all the many thousands of pounds uh, i must admit mm-hmm. to spending on watches over the years that's one of the thousands that i really don't regret like i've had a lot of fun with that watch and i've tried to beat it to hell but it looks like it did when it came out of the box to be honest and tell me this that's 56 millimeters that one and that wraps around my 16.5 centimeter wrist quite comfortably with those ergonomic end pieces for the strap but how big is your wrist you know rob i've never mentioned it but it's probably half the size of yours so um you know, <laughs> I, I reckon, no, you know what? I think we're about the same, right? I'm sure you gave me your Rolex Explorer to try on the first time we met and it, and it fit like a glove. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we're, we're not, um, 
we're not of the of the large wristed and like I'm just putting this um, frogman on now and I use the second to last set of uh, holes um, and I say holes because frogmen have two pins in their buckle and you know despite all that um, like you said with those ergonomic end pieces it somehow works and. No, I should I should wear it more. Um, you know, my problem with digital watches, I must admit to you, is that as far as functionality and things, I'm just awful with it. You know, I set the time and the date, and I'm pretty good to go. I just don't use a lot of the other stuff, but I like the way they look, and I just find them. I, I think Casio does something with digital watches that that no one else does, um, and the Frogman to me is just such a, a neat piece. Yeah. Um, and, you know, moving on from that frogman, I bought a, uh, in Hong Kong, I was actually there for work and I found in like a really small shop, I found what is called, I mean, Casio, by the way, is a little bit like, um, the Rolling Stones or your favorite, um, classic rock band. They always announce a final tour and then the next year they're touring again. So <laughs> Casio had made this um this watch called the final edition of the Frogman and it was the GW200Z. So this one really looks like an old school Frogman but it's got solar power and it was kind of in the smaller case design and it's all black with like some yellow script and red script and some green on there. And it's super cool, but it's smaller than the, uh, the last one I told you about and definitely looks like a more old fashioned G shock. So that was just a neat one. I kind of had to pick up because it was like the last one they had and it had already been discontinued a year or two before. Um, so that was a neat one and just sort of a nice way to remember Hong Kong. Sounds like a good pickup. sounds like a wise decision, but it wasn't the last frogman at all, was it? Because we've just seen some new ones come out. Yeah, and and here again, they're doing the uh, Anadigi thing on the Frogman too, which I think um, Gerard and I had a discussion about when that came came out, and we were both sort of like, "Hmm, what do we think about this?" You know, and I think it's a welcome addition. It certainly will bring in new fans and everything, and they're rabid Frogman collectors out there, so this just gives them something else to set, you know, spend their money on too. But um, it's the first Frogman I've ever been interested in. I mean, I'm a Mudmaster fanatic. I really am. I have a few of them. I love them to bits. Uh, and I want more, quite frankly. I want the uh, British Army colorway, which I just, I resisted buying it. Mm. I resisted. I held my hand. I stayed my hand because I was like, I don't know. I don't need this. I've got this watch already in a different, the standard green colorway. I, I don't need this. But I regret it. So I've seen that watch. Um, I can't remember if it was that one or the RAF piece. Um, Bert's got the British Army one, definitely. He's definitely got the British Army. And we've had the RAF in the office recently. So the, the Army piece, my, um, I should say my, but um, my favorite bartender, Anthony, here in Frankfurt, uh, he's a G-Shock G fanatic. And, he, and, and here's a really good uh, practical use, right? Um, as a person who, of course, deals with a lot of uh, liquid substances, cold things, sharp things, because he's always cutting uh, fruit and stuff like that, and shaking cocktails, 
a G-Shock is the only watch that has held up to that job. He's had other watches that have literally fallen apart on the job or he just won't wear them. And well, he bought that watch. So, Well, he sounds like the perfect ambassador for it. And what a cool idea. Have they ever done like a bar-focused G-Shock specifically for like a bartender? Uh, not that, I mean, we saw the Budweiser uh, version, but clearly that was more just a, a branding thing, right? It wasn't uh, meant to, to You know do I anything. bought that, right? I, I, I do. You, you shot a picture and I looked for it and um, I'm jealous. I think it's really cool. It's awesome. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this old Coca-Cola yo-yo I had in the early 90s. Ah. You know, when yo- well, the first time... Yo-yos were big in the 90s. I think they kind of had two peaks of popularity. Yep. Um, before the pro-yo phase, there was just the regular old yo-yos, and they were always used in uh, big branding and as giveaways and you know little uh, freebies you could save up tokens off packets for and send away. And I had a Fanta one as well, which was crazy because I wasn't allowed to drink Coke or Fanta when I was a kid. But I used to go around to my friends' houses and go through their uh, trash and get the tokens off the cardboard sleeves that the cans of coke came in and send off for the yo-yos oh, nice. with a one pound 50 postal order <laughs> and that was white and red the coke one was obviously the fanta was white and blue but the coke one was one of my favorite possessions and i still have it i have a tiny box oh, nice. about uh about eight by four inches um in size that i keep my favorite things from when i was a child in and the yo-yo is there and uh, and you I can get you can get everything in uh, to an eight by four box, huh? Uh, well, the the really special things like I have a rattle from when I was a kid. I have like a little it's a little plastic watch that folds out into a robot. Mm. Uh, that, oh yeah, uh, the, I remember those. The watch doesn't uh, the watch doesn't work. Okay, it's just like a plastic box with a sticker on the front to make it look like a watch, and you could wear it on your wrist. Um, the fabric strap for it has gone AWOL years ago, but. You can just open it up and a little robot head and little robot legs fold out. And I have a dragon from the McDonald's Happy Meal. Nice. Uh, and around, around 93 or 94, I think. And I have a, a small plastic box with a hologram a hologram on the top with a, I think it's either a Triceratops or a, or a Diplodocus um, that I used to keep. Like um, my dad's, old, no, my granddad's old um, Christian Youth Club pin badge in. That's about it. <laughs> That's about it. Oh, and a small, a small yellow teddy bear that I found inside a wooden camel when I ran away from my mom uh, in BHS uh, in about 1989 and, and got lost. <laughs> so lost. I crawled inside this wooden camel outside, the, outside BHS, which was a climbing frame for kids, and I hid there, and I found this small teddy bear there. And I was there for so long, they had to put an announcement out on the PA because like, I'd, I'd gone missing. And then I came crawling out with this teddy bear, which I kept ever since, so... Wow. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, why was I talking about that? The yo-yo. So the Budweiser thing just took me right back to my youth in a in a sort of like <laughs> non-alcoholic way. And um I had to I had to buy it, but it was only out for about two hours and then it was gone. It was just I yeah, I, I I clearly checked after that two-hour window. I've looked on eBay, and they're not too bad, so I, I may pick one up. Um, it's just kind what of are they new, going for now? I feel like it was like a few hundred bucks, something. So what uh-huh, did, what did uh-huh. it cost new? Two hundred or so? Yeah, it was about two hundred, but it ended up costing me a fair bit more because postage was forty bucks to the UK where I had it shipped because it's a little less of a nightmare than having it shipped to Germany at the moment, mm-hmm. and. 
Then I had to pay, I think, probably about $60 import duty. So I ended up paying about 300 bucks for it, I think. I just checked on Chrono 24, and there's one going for 834 euros in US, but then there's another one in Hong Kong uh, for 211 with 54 euros shipping. So that's even less than I paid for it all in. So you can still get one basically for nothing. Yeah. It, it's tempting. I mean, the white the white strap was a little bit of a concern in terms of. It's not a white strap. It's a red strap. Uh, it's yeah. a white case. The, the white case, but then again, honestly, this is not a not something that I would rock every single day. And the packaging just looks great. So <laughs> packaging's awesome. But we could all we could all try and get our hands on one and then just have like a Budweiser even, <laughs> and maybe drink something else. But you know, I'm not, I'm not against a, the odd bud. No, uh, I've got I've got the Bamford one next to me in the office as well, and that one's trending for quite a bit more. They're they're all around five five forty up to about six sixty on Chrono Twenty Four, and there's five of them on there. Yeah, that was a cool piece too. So, uh, kind of on that mm. tip, my my last um, G Shock, the last one I bought, which I guess was around ten years ago, or maybe a little bit um, more recently, is the um, G Shock 30th anniversary DW 5030C. So, this is the smaller uh, rectangular case model, which I have to tell you, if you've never tried this model on, not, not this specific one, but this case on, I guess you probably have. It's probably not that different than your Budweiser model. Um, okay. What a great case size. And this one was really cool because um, it has like uh, sort of pink gold buttons and buckle. And that's sort of how the, the whole tone and the theme of the, uh, the display and just the little writing is around the case. Uh, is this the one that's got the like almost peachy display with the black? It's like a peach positive display. Like it's not as, as cold as the normal one, right? No, it well, yes, it, it is warmer. Um, the, um, I, I, I think the, um, it, it's, it's like they tried to do kind of like a bronzy pink goldy thing and it's just fantastic. Um, I found it in Palm beach. Yeah, it was, um, the, um, the, the store Hamilton, which um, is a is a jeweler there, they're in Princeton, New Jersey and Palm Beach had like a kind of like one of these events where all the different uh, watch uh, companies were in like a trunk show almost and G-Shock was there. And somehow uh, they had this watch and I picked it up and I think it was like you know, $275 or $300 and from what I can see, you can still get them for not that much more than that. But in my view, this is really a classic. Um, I love it. I love. Uh, I love the. It's the one with Project Team Tough on the dial, right? The 30th anniversary version. Uh, yes, that is correct. I love it. I love it. I've wanted one for a while, and um, yeah, I might try and pick one up. Actually, I really do like it because it's not a black case, is it? Is it a little? Is it black or is it a little grayer? If it's gray, it's very dark gray, but it, uh-huh, it, uh-huh. it could be black. Um, and, and what I thought was cool about this, I mean, okay, it's like the Frogman as well, but it's got a proper screw down case back. I mean, it really feels like it's made of good stuff, but it is the kind of watch you can actually wear under a sleeve, which I can't really say that about the Frogman, for example. Um, and 
Yeah, that this is about as go everywhere, do everything as a watch could be if you're into digital. So I always say to people who are not that into G-Shocks, this is a good place to start because it's not so audacious. I mean, maybe audacious is what you want, but this style, um, this this smaller rectangular style is definitely just feels great on the wrist and it's super light too. It's amazing. I had no idea it had that screw down case back, I have to admit. Uh, that's a really nice wrinkle to that model. Yeah, it's kind of super quality, right? It's like really good. Um, it's like a real quality move. And you still get, you know, you get your 200 meters of water resist and you can, uh, you know, you can uh, smack this into a wall as well and it'll be fine. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do love that about these watches and I do love being able to wear them with such confidence. But um, I'm kind of bewitched by that screw down case back now because I, I hate external screws screw heads because i always find a way to like burr a screw slot even though i painstakingly finish screwdrivers like you know to make sure they fit before i try and unscrew anything and uh i just i just really love a, a screw down because you know uh, there's this little technique for getting uh screwed threaded shall we say threaded case backs off without even using a tool that has any metal or any even plastic claws attached to them. And that is to use like a, uh, a squishy rubber ball. So does it work that well? And this is a great, great subject. Yeah, I did it the other day, much to the amazement of my friend. Uh, he's got a Nazumi voiture. Uh, we bought them at the same time uh, when Nazumi ran its first Kickstarter campaign a few years back. And his battery had gone flat. And I was heading back from Germany to the UK. And he said, hey, can you bring me a battery for my Nazumi? Because he knows I've got a you know, drawer full of batteries just in case. I was like, yeah, no problem. And I didn't want to take any uh, metal tools with me on the plane because I was only going with hand luggage and I've had a bit of trouble with people before um, sure. at airports with tools. So I just took this green rubber ball and I got there and he, he was like, uh, you are joking. That's like, that's, surely that's not possible. Hmm. And I said, well, to be quite frank with you, I haven't done this technique very often myself. And there are a couple of things, if anyone's thinking of trying it, that you, you should be aware of. And... Uh, that is, when it comes to the leverage that you need to put enough pressure against the watch back with the ball, which you just press into the case back so that it sort of collapses into, into the material and then twist, you should not put too much lateral pressure on your strap or especially on your bracelet. Now, there are some bracelets that have quite, um, not flimsy as such, but say flexible attachments to the case. Mm -hmm. Like, so my old Rolex Oyster Date uh, Precision, that has got like one of those old folded metal, old folded steel bracelets. And you can bend those links sure. if you put enough lateral pressure on them. And if you've got something that has like a straight bar end link, you could really like twist it or warp it if you like use that bracelet as your point of purchase. So the smartest thing to do if you want to take the case back off of a rubber ball is to take your bracelet or your strap off first. Get yourself a tea towel and put the watch head in the tea towel between like your thumb and your first finger. So your fingers are what you're using. Between the, the lugs, lugs, basically. Between the lugs, right. So the tea towel's there to stop you from cutting your fingers on the lugs when you twist uh, anti-clockwise with the rubber ball on the case back. That's, that's all it's there for. It's just to protect your own body <laughs> because you've got to use that your soft fleshy parts as like the load bearing wall sure. as it were you, you don't want to use like the bracelet itself anyway 
I did this um, and I was quite careful because it's a, the Nazumi Votura is a chronograph and it has like um, relatively slender pump pushes. So you don't want to like be putting any lateral pressure on them either. And it worked perfectly. And he was gobsmacked. He just couldn't believe that like it was physically possible. And to be quite frank, I was a little bit gobsmacked myself because <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever tried it in front of somebody else. And it made me look a lot cooler than I anticipated. I'm going to order one because um, I've been doing, it, doing a lot of battery replacements lately. And I have a, a 300 meter Seiko tuna that is a, you know, a rear loader, not a, not a front loader, like, like most of them. And it is like a PVD coating and I don't want to use a metal, um, a metal case opening tool on it. A, because, uh, well, Slipping is always a problem. It's the first time it'll be open, so it will be um, it will be tight anyhow. And yeah, I don't want to even mar the the finish within the little grooves. You know what I mean? As a slight caveat, it is possible to get like nylon uh, yeah. claws for those tools, but they aren't all that. And I have actually scratched things with nylon as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly. I mean, it's got to be hard enough, right, to stand up to the pressure. So. I'm going to, I mean, the rubber ball, I I guess on Amazon, the one that I've seen for seven, eight euros is worth a try, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't go far wrong with it. Even if you're not able to open any case back on earth with it, at least you've got yourself a nice ball to play with. (laughs) And I I like rubber balls. Um, Is it cool? Is it tacky to the point that it picks up dust and everything and you just keep it in a bag or? No, no, and it's not like that at all. I mean, it's it's really a repurposed ball. Like it wasn't at all. I don't believe that it was designed for this. It's just people realize that that kind yeah, of works. Rubber, yeah, it's just that kind of that gloss sort of um, like a little not beach ball, not like an inflatable yeah, beach ball. No, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, all it is, it's all it is. And wow. uh, do you have a dog? I do not. You have uh, you have a child? I do. Well, there you go. Fine. You know, if it doesn't work out. There's a birthday present for the kid. Small ball. <laughs> Kids love balls. I like balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have um, we have turned this in from, from a Casio discussion to a, a DIY uh, thing. But I learned something today. I mean, this was something I, you as a watchmaker, I was actually going to ask if this was worth uh, investing my seven or eight euros in. And now I know the answer is a firm yes. Firm, yes. Absolutely firm, yes. And it's still a Casio podcast because we were inspired entirely by this wonderful, unusual 30th anniversary which, Casio. Which needs that, a battery change, by the way. So No, no way. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's perfect. That is perfect. <laughs> now, you might be able to get away with using the resin strap as, as leverage, but I would still take it off. You know those straps on those uh, watches come off really a lot easier than people would expect. Should be. It's just screws, right? Um, the, I don't know about that one, actually. Is it screws? The ones that I've got are spring bars. Okay. Yeah. I think um, all of mine are basically screws. And oh, interesting. Yeah. The, um, this one, I'm not sure. Uh, yes, it's also screws. So Very nice. Very nice. So we've talked about the models in your collection now. One last point. Um, what would you like to see from Casio next? What do you feel is missing from your collection? And do Casio make it already, or is it something Casio needs to make to satisfy Mike Stockton? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think that um, you know what I what I always liked with with Casio is that you know that just the amount of uh, color and everything they put into the cases, and I know that they're big on the um, the metal pieces now, which are super cool. Um, but you know, I really like 
the vivid colors for um for the plastic cases and you know when i bought my watch there was a series at the same time where you know the the i guess it was like the mud man the the range man and all these were done in orange and i really kicked myself that i didn't pick up you know any number of those pieces because orange is just super cool and you know i hope they i hope they keep doing those releases in those vivid colors like that and you know i also hope that they they continue to make some models like the original one that I bought that are good for a smaller wrist. I mean, we talked about it that most of these will actually fit a smaller wrist anyhow, but um, I do like when, when they offer that kind of variety. So hopefully they'll, they'll do that. Great answer. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and very interesting. It's just another chapter in our Casio collectors podcast that shows that people have come at this hobby this niche of our hobby in uh in very different ways and have very different experiences of it and that's always a cool thing to hear so cheers mike nice one well thanks for having me rob and uh hopefully you enjoyed uh making your coffee and doing all those other things during my intro i certainly did i owe you one speak soon mate okay that's gonna do it for today i got to talk to g2 balaj and mike about their personal experiences with Casio and most specifically with G-Shock and it turned out to be such an in-depth conversation I'm sure we'll all be back in the smooth booth to record a second edition of this Casio Collectors podcast. Until next time, stay safe and keep on ticking.